the Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is the Recording Academy's Chief Government and Member Relations Officer, Daryl Friedman. But first of all, if you ever had somebody infringe upon your copyright, you would have to take that case to federal court, and the average cost is about $175,000. A big problem there is if you feel the infringement is less than that, then it's not worth even going to court. So a couple of Democrats and a couple of Republicans, which is nice that they're working together, actually proposed a new bill, H.R. 3945. And this is to establish what essentially amounts to a small claims court for copyright claims. Now, this is limited to $15,000 per work infringed, with a total award of $30,000. Nonetheless, it actually makes it possible for a lot of these small infringements to be brought up in front of a judge. Now, there's also provision for pro bono assistance, so you can get an attorney to do it for nothing, or law students, for instance which there's a provision for that as well. So this is actually something that's really good if it passes. And as you'll hear in a little bit, there's a lot going on in terms of what's being proposed on Capitol Hill that hopefully can help musicians and songwriters along the line. And for many people, this will be a godsend because we know that there are many, many small claims that just never go anywhere because the money required to get into the ballgame is just too high. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyowinnercircle.com. The second edition of my social media promotion for Musicians Handbook is now available on Amazon, iBooks, Ingram, and a bookstore near you. It's the manual for marketing yourself, your band, and your music online, and covers how to use virtually every important online platform for promotion. Also, you might want to check out my courses at bobbyosinskicourses.com. Another big thing on the horizon is mixed reality audio. Now, just to back up for a second, most of us are aware of virtual reality. Virtual reality is a made-up reality that we're viewing on a headset. Mixed reality mixes the real world and virtual worlds. And of course, you've heard of augmented reality, or AR. That's really a subset that takes real-world objects and merges them into the virtual world. But mixed reality looks like it's going to be a big thing. And it's going to have an interesting impact on the audio business and audio professionals. The first thing that we're seeing is smart headphones that are coming out, headphones and earbuds. And these are now a new category called hearables. There's a couple of products already. Hear One, and that's spelled H-E-R-E, Hear One. Another is IQ Buds. So what these allow the user to do is mix the virtual reality they may be perceiving And this virtual reality could also be pre-recorded music, pre-recorded sounds, pre-recorded audio, and mix it with the reality that they're experiencing in their world right now. So in other words, they're mixing VR and real content. Now, a lot of this can be done by the personal assistants, like Siri, for instance, where you just say, Siri, add more reverb, and Siri will do it. Or Siri, limit the bandwidth, or any command like that. And in fact, there'll probably be more non-audio commands that will allow the user to tailor what they're hearing much better. Kind of know this is going to be something big because already we're seeing Apple and Google and Facebook 
really putting a lot of money into it. So I would expect that pretty soon this is going to be something that will be on all of our plates as audio professionals. The interesting thing about this is it's difficult enough sometimes to mix music or mix in post-production or mix in an artificial environment with artificial sources, so to speak. Just imagine having to do that and incorporate it with the variety of external real sources. So I don't know how you do that myself. I'm looking forward to actually talking to some people that can tell me how that's going to be done. But considering that this experience can be in so many different environments, it's really hard for the mixer to plan for all of these. So it just makes what we do all that much more interesting and more difficult as well. So look for mixed reality audio to be something in your toolkit pretty soon. My guest today is Daryl Friedman, who's the Chief Government and Member Relations Officer for the Recording Academy. Daryl joined the Recording Academy in 1967 and established the organization's Washington, D.C. office. He created the Academy's Grammys on the Hill initiatives, which include a number of programs to advance the rights of music creators through advocacy, education, and dialogue. There are some major copyright and royalty issues facing artists and songwriters these days, and Daryl and his team lobby members of Congress on our behalf, which many people aren't aware of. Daryl and I spoke about the recent District Advocate Day, where Accordion Academy members went to meet their local members of Congress in all 50 states. We also spoke about some of the proposed bills that can be very helpful to artists and songwriters in the future. I spoke with them via phone from an office at the Recording Academy in Santa Monica. Tell me exactly what you do for the Academy. My role in the Academy is to oversee our advocacy efforts and our, our membership division. And we've really come to believe that those two are the same because our best advocates are our members. And our members are becoming more and more interested in um, speaking out for the rights of musicians and songwriters and producers. So that's my role is to kind of galvanize that group into a, a force in Washington. So do you spend most of your time in Washington then? Yeah, I'm based in Washington, and um, we have our office there just a few blocks from the White House, and we have a team in of Washington of, of lobbyists and um, policy folks who work with our 23,000 members to advance their rights. It's kind of nice to know that that's happening because I think uh, a lot of us kind of forget that there are people working in Washington on our behalf. Right, and you know, I always say I work for our members, and I was just here in uh, California this week because we had our district advocate day and I uh, got to spend some time with a lot of our members visiting their members of Congress and uh, really just reinforces the fact that the best lobbyists we have really are not in Washington. The best lobbyists we have are the members themselves. You can tell their stories and um, who are the constituents and the voters of those members of Congress. Well, let's talk about district advocate day. So how did that come about? Well, a few years ago, we decided to see if we could expand the scope of what we do in Washington, which is called Grammys on the Hill, and where we bring um, artists and producers and songwriters to Washington to lobby in their home offices. What we found was missing was um, the kind of scale that we could really generate because we have so many members and because our members are across the country. We wanted to find a way to demonstrate to Congress that um, this is really a very widespread interest of music creators from all over. And that um, to dispel this misperceived notion that music people are really just in three cities, you know, in three states, California, Tennessee, and New York. Mm -hmm. And so what we did was we tried to start this grassroots advocacy day from coast to coast. In the first year, it was 100 people who did it. And this past year, it was 1,600 people who did it. 
And this year we had representatives, literally our members in all 50 states visited members of Congress. I think we sent a message back to Washington that music creators are everywhere and they're powerful and they live in the districts and they care about these issues. And most importantly, they vote. Now, did they actually meet the members of Congress or did they just meet the representatives at their office? They met the members of Congress. We do this during the um, district work period. So Washington right now, there's, there's nothing happening in Washington in Congress. All of the members of Congress are home working in their districts. And for most of these meetings, the, our members, our academy members, were meeting with the actual legislator themselves. There were some meetings where they met with um, district office representatives, but for the most part, the members of Congress want to meet with our members and hear firsthand what's going on. Well, let's talk about the issues for a second. So what were the actual topics that they were talking about? The main thing is to get um, all the members of Congress aware of what's coming in terms of copyright overview. For the past uh, four and a half years, the Judiciary Committee, which oversees intellectual property for Congress, has been reviewing the Copyright Act and really focusing, in some regards, um, very um, with great scrutiny on music licensing itself. And so we believe that these bills that, are, that have been in play during this Congress, um, it's important that other members of Congress outside of those committees know this is coming and know the importance of it to their own constituents. So for, for example, the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act, which has been introduced, bipartisan bill introduced this Congress by Congressman Jerry Nadler from New York and Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, um, would harmonize all of the, the standards of how musicians get and producers get paid. Right now, every depending on where you hear a song, the payment can be very different. If you hear a song on Spotify, it's one payment. If you hear a song on Pandora, it's a different rate standard. And if you hear that same song on FM radio, it's zero. We're the only country in the developed world where radio doesn't pay a royalty at all to artists. So the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act would address those issues. And there are other bills that deal with other aspects of music copyright, such as the AMP Act, which is important to producers and engineers because it would help payments get to them in a fast, transparent, and accurate way. So all of these were sort of the intellectual property constructs that we hope will make up a music licensing bill that Congress will deal with in the next year and a half. Well, the Fair Play Act, I think it's a great idea, and it's something that all artists and musicians would love to see passed. This has been going on for quite a while, and the NAB has always been able to beat it back. So what's different this time? Well, just about everything's different than today than it was a few years ago. For one thing, the NAB um, doesn't have the same political power that they once had, as radio doesn't have the same power that it once had, given all the other platforms. And contrasted to that is the artists themselves are becoming much more of a political active force and mobilizing and speaking out on these issues. But really what's happening is that Congress has asked um, this issue to be resolved for the last few years and has really encouraged the parties to get together. And radio now understands that it's in their interest to work with us, to be our friends, and to figure out a way to move forward because they have a challenge too. Their challenge is competition with newer platforms and they're losing the younger demographic. Our challenge is we're not getting paid on terrestrial radio. Well, we are getting paid on their digital simulcast, but we're not getting paid on terrestrial radio and we're losing all the foreign money that would be coming to us from if we had reciprocity at $200 million a year. So if we can start, and we're starting to have dialogues with different members of the radio community, who I think are now seeing that there's an interest in resolving this issue so they can move forward with us and be partners with us, 
and, and have a thriving business model in the, light, in the face of all this competition they have. So it's a very different dynamic today than it was even a few years ago. Would that foreign money be retroactive? No, unfortunately it wouldn't. It would just be um, as soon as we have the right here in the United States, the money from the other nations would start to come in. But we've lost um, hundreds of millions of dollars by not having this right over the decades. Now, considering how fractious Congress is right now, what are the chances that this is actually going to happen? Because they can't get together on relatively simple things, so this is not a simple thing. <laughs> yeah, well, the, in some ways, the, the partisanship in Congress and the gridlock in Congress is actually working in our favor because this is one of the few issues that really is nonpartisan. I mentioned the two co-sponsors of the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act. You've got these are the original co-sponsors. You have Jerry Nadler, who is um, a New York liberal, who is, uh, you know, really on the left side of things. You have Marsha Blackburn, who is a very conservative Tennessee um, Republican. They don't agree on much. In fact, I don't think they agree on anything in Congress other than this issue. So the fact that we can have such a bipartisan issue and, and kind of get through the gridlock of partisanship, I think means that we might be able to get something under the, under the radar when all these big issues like health care and immigration are being held up. I'm curious, who's driving this for the most part? Is this record labels, music publishers? Well, for the most part, the Fair, the fair Play, Fair Pay Act is, is really being driven by the artists. The, most, the, the party that has the most to gain are the artists. The record labels will also benefit from this. But remember, record labels, for the most part, the major, major labels at least, have domiciles in other countries, and they can collect those... Um, those foreign royalty payments in some cases by having um, a footprint in those countries. So the, the benefit to the foreign, uh, the benefit of the foreign reciprocal money would really be going to the artists and the independent labels who don't have those international footprints. But for the most part, um, this money would be distributed 50, 50 between the sound recording owner and the artist. And in many cases today, those are the same thing. So the artists would be getting the full share if they own their own masters. So really, it's the artists and organizations like the Recording Academy and our partners in the Music First Coalition that's driving this campaign. Now, you mentioned something before about the Fair Play Act that I wasn't aware of. I always thought that this bill was just about getting paid for play on terrestrial radio, but I didn't realize it was for standardizing digital royalties as well. That's a really tough nut to crack there because there are so many moving parts, and already if you look at what the royalty schedules are between interactive, non-interactive, paid tier, free tier, and all the different bundles that are involved. Wow, that's tough. Who figured out what that standardized rate should be? Right. Well, the important point about when we say harmonizing rate standards, is we're not talking about having a, the same rate across the board. We understand that d different services will have different rates. If you're an interactive service where you can literally say, I want to hear this song right now, that's a different rate than a radio type of internet radio service where it's more of a lean back experience and someone else is delivering songs to you. What the bill does is harmonize the rate standards, meaning that what we believe is that if government bodies are going to be setting rates, they should try to mimic what the free market would have provided. So the rate standard that government bodies often use is a fair market rate standard. Legally, it's called the willing buyer, willing seller standard. But not everyone uses that, and some use rate standards that are actually below market, um, that, would, that produce below market rates. 
So the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act, one of the things it does is says across the board, when the government body is setting the rate, it should use whatever that rate would have been if had it been in a free market. So those will be different rates, but the same rate standard. The other thing the, free, the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act does is um, address the 1972, pre-72 issue and also say that those tracks that were recorded by pre-72 and have currently some legal ambiguity, they would also be subject to royalty payments. And the final piece of the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act is the AMP Act itself, which is also a separate bill. That provision is included as well that makes sure producers and engineers are able to collect their digital royalties in a fast, transparent, and accurate way. So the bill really is a comprehensive sound recording music bill. Does it have anything to do with copyright overhaul? Well, in general, this would be um, impacting the Copyright Act, but there's also other bills that will that are in play that are not just specific to music, but address the copyright um, system in general. We had a bill passed this year that was um, how it treats the Copyright Office. So that's one area that's important to all copyright owners, uh, musicians, as well as um, authors and, and anyone who's working in intellectual property. And we believe that the Copyright Office should be have a little more independence from the Library of Congress where it lives today. And so that bill actually passed the House and has some reform to the selection of the, the head of the Copyright Office. And there may be other bills that come out that are not specifically related to music, um, such as orphan works bills or anything else um, on, on data. And those bills um, may also be part of the copyright review. But what the Recording Academy is mostly focused on are the music-specific bills like the Fair Play, Fair Pay Act. Let's talk about the AMP Act for a second, Allocation for Music Producers Act. Producers have always been paid. It's been tough to get paid because first the burden was on the record label, then it, it was shifted to the artist, which meant it was more difficult to get paid. And then it was always on sales. And now since the sales are going down, now we're talking about getting paid on digital distribution. So how does the AMP Act play into that? Well, currently there is a system in place for producers to get a um, their, their digital performance royalties. It's generally paid out of the featured artist share, and there's an arrangement between the featured artist and the producer. What SoundExchange has done, because SoundExchange is a very friendly, um, creator-friendly organization, and they have voluntarily set up a system by which producers can be paid directly by them and not have it have to go through the artist share and then the producer having to collect to make a claim against the featured artists they work for. Sound Exchange will pay the producer directly on the letter of direction. What the AMBAC does is codify that practice that's voluntary on Sound Exchange's part and make it the law so that if there's a, a successor to Sound Exchange or a competing organization or anything else change, this would be protection in the law for producers. So the producers would be able to get this collect this digital royalty. But there's one other aspect of the AMPAC that, that we love here at the, the Recording Academy and of course our producers and engineers wing love is that we looked in the history of legislation. We asked the Congressional Research Office to find out any reference to record producers in the U.S. law since the creation of the United States of America. And the, net, the answer we got back was zero. Producers have never been mentioned in law, never been protected in U.S. statute. Where songwriters and artists have and have certain protections and certain regulations, producers really have been left out there without anything. So for the first time, when the AMP Act passes, producers will have legislative protection and be protected for the first time mentioned in the U.S. Code. We think that's a, a great step for the recognition of the, the role that producers play. 
Now, yesterday during the District Advocate Day, I'm just curious, how many congressmen, how many were actually aware of these issues? Were they aware and they just needed a little push in the right direction, or were they clueless about this? You know, it's really all over the map. Um, There are 435 members of the House, and they each have their areas of expertise. If they sit on the Judiciary Committee, which is the committee that oversees our issues, they generally are aware. And I attended some meetings yesterday here in California, and I sat in on a meeting with um, Congresswoman Judy Chu from Pasadena. She is a supporter of the Fair Play Act. She has been a member of the Judiciary Committee. She is well aware of our issues. We're getting other feedback from other members of Congress, from other meetings that happened with members of Congress, where literally they were educating them from a a knowledge base of zero. I had no idea this bill exists. Uh, what does it mean? What does it do? Who's in favor of it? And the musicians and songwriters and producers in those meetings were explaining from from the very base knowledge of what the bill was to a member of Congress that really didn't deal with intellectual property. But that's really important because when these bills get out of committee, they go to the full House, and the full House floor will have to vote on it. And so these were, these members of Congress, who maybe are included into the specific issue right now, will remember that their own constituents came to them, knocked on their door, sat with them, and said, this is important to us in this community where you live, and we expect you to vote in our favor. So it really does, it is a, it's a broad range, and we've seen the feedback we're getting from those meetings today really shows that too, that some were experts, some were fairly knowledgeable about it, and many were really not knowledgeable at all. Sounds like it was very successful. Now, given that, it's nice to have face-to-face meetings with member of Congress if possible, but that's not always possible. So what could the average artist, musician, producer do in order to help this along? Well, there's a lot of things that you can do really from the uh, from your own keyboard. Um, we have <clears throat> we have a, a site called um, Grammy.com slash advocacy, and from that site, you can find a lot of tools. There's an action link where you can literally look up your member of Congress, find out their Twitter handle, find out their email address, and again, just send them the information. We even have a pre-populated letter if they want to support the legislation that the artist can send to their member of Congress. So this really is a year-round process. It can be done by anyone who wants to support the cause of music. And uh, I would encourage you to go to grammy.com advocacy to learn more. What's the most effective way to let your feelings be known to a member of Congress? The most effective way is really an in-person meeting in the district. Um, Congress people see lobbyists in Washington all the time, but when they see their own mem- their own voters, really the people who are essentially their bosses, they hire them and they can fire them. When those people knock on their door in district, it, it matters. And I've seen even just a few people, I've seen cases where a member of Congress was um, against us for years and literally writing op-eds in the paper about um, how the broadcaster shouldn't have to pay a royalty. And we brought three musicians from that district to his office. They talked the issue over, they even played some music. And the congressman has since been, um, been neutral on that issue where he was very much against us in the past because he knew he had constituents on both sides. So it really does matter when people come and, and visit them. Um, the, the NAB yesterday when they saw what we were doing, the National Association of Broadcasters, put an email alert out to their membership to to send emails and call congressional offices to try and counteract what we were doing. But there's no way to really counteract 1,600 people 
going and knocking on the door in district and sitting down with their members of Congress electronically, because there's nothing more effective than that. So we really, you know, the grassroots momentum of yesterday was really um, historic in a way. It's never before been an issue where musicians in 50 states across the country lobbied together on the same day on the same issue. Do phone calls work? Yes, phone calls, uh, lighting up the switchboard definitely works. Um, you know, everything works in terms of email, phone, using social media. I would put personal visits at the top of that list, but everything else has an impact. And you just, if you have the right amount of scale and a large number of people doing those sort of electronic campaigns, it really can make a difference. And at, at Grammy.com slash advocacy, we actually have a way we can send, it takes two minutes, you can put in your address, it will tell you who the member of Congress is, and it'll give you a letter which you can customize and send off, and those letters actually do make a difference. Now, if you show up at a congressman's office doorstep, what are the chances are that you can actually speak with the congressman? I can't imagine them dropping everything just to speak with a constituent. Right. Well, without a meeting, without a meeting in advance, it's unlikely you'll get the member of Congress, but for most, for the most part, you'll meet with some representative from the office. What we do with District Advocate Day is we use the the um, relationships that we have at the Recording Academy, and we set up all the meetings for those people. So the 300 meetings that happened yesterday all across the country, the 300 meetings that um, we set up across the country were all set up by our central office in Washington, so we know how to make get a meeting with the actual member of Congress and help our members get into those offices. But anyone who walks who wants to call their local congressional office um, will most likely get a meeting with at least a staff person who can take down the issues and pass those concerns along to their boss. Does that work as well if you speak with the representative of the congressman? It does. In fact, sometimes it's even more effective because the congressman is focused on so many things and and running for re-election and all of the other aspects they have to do. Sometimes speaking with the staff person who's a, a knowledgeable expert on the issue can be very effective. In fact, I tell people in Washington, sometimes it's even more effective because you're talking to, you know, uh, someone who's really steeped in this issue, who's read the legislation, in some cases who's drafted legislation, and can really be knowledgeable and ask questions. So really both both are important. The staff in, in politics are incredibly important to getting the work done. And of course, the member of Congress, having them see the constituents in their office and know that in their own community this matters, that's also very important. Mm, yeah. Are there other issues besides the Fair Play Act and the AMP Act that you're working on at the moment? There are actually some very important issues for our membership um, on the songwriting side, which doesn't currently have legislation, but we expect legislation soon on those issues. And songwriters have had significant challenges on a couple of fronts. If they're members of ASCAP or BMI, they're subject to agreements with the U.S. Department of Justice called consent decrees that really, we believe, suppress the rates that are paid to songwriters and put ASCAP and BMI at a disadvantage when negotiating those rates with users of music. There are also um, rate standard issues on the, on the, on the song side as well. Um, we believe that the mechanical royalty should be paid at that same fair market standard. It currently is not. And um, so we believe in generally, uh, both on the mechanical and the performance royalties, songwriters need to have a, a fair level playing field. And we expect legislation to come out this year that will address some of those issues as well. At District Advocate Day, we did have our members talk about those issues so that Congress people can be prepared for that bill when it comes out. Last question, Daryl. And thank you for your time. I really enjoyed the chat so far. I've learned a lot. 
this is off the beaten track a little bit because it doesn't really apply to what we're talking about, but I ask it of every guest. And I'm sure you're going to have an interesting take on it considering the job that you're doing. What is the best piece of business advice that you ever received from someone or maybe that you learned along the way? Well, I think, um, you know, I think about this a lot because in Washington, um, the power dynamics shift back and forth quite a bit. And I think about the best business advice being the fact of treat everybody with respect and treat everybody fairly and treat everybody as if they're important. Um, and I've, I've seen that play out, especially in Washington, because someone who's an intern today could be a member of Congress in a few years. And it literally is not an exaggeration to say that. I know people who, who start at the very bottom in the hill on staff and have then run for Congress and won. So it's just really important. It's a good practice in general, but it also is a helpful practice because uh, the power dynamics do shift and folks like that um, remember that you were respectful and that you... Uh, you were concerned and, and cared about their issues as well as your own. To find out more about the Academy's government advocacy program, go to grammy.com forward slash advocacy. There you'll find everything you need to contact your local member of Congress. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyowinnercircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab or go to bobbyownercircle.com or find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, and Google Play. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts to new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. 